Well, it's great to be uh, with you this morning to take a look at the book of Jonah. I would encourage you to read the book of Jonah this week. It's a short book, very easy to get through, about, uh, I don't know, 40% of the way into the Bible. Uh, it's a very short book, so like I said, so you may need to look it up in the index so you don't just flip over it. Uh, but Jonah's a great, uh, great story of God's grace. And so I would encourage you to, to read the whole book in preparation for the next uh, couple of weeks as we uh, drill deeper into the book of Jonah. So, let me ask you, have you ever tried to run away from God? Uh, I know I have in the past when I could sense God pressing into my life uh, and, and pressing in on things in my life and inviting me into things and just going, nope, not going there. And, you know, you can be here this morning and be, you say, well, I'm in church. Of course I'm not running away from God. You can be in church and running away from God. You can be doing ministry or serving in the faith community and simultaneously running away from God. You can be going through all the motions of following God and still be running away from God. But it's something that you know on the inside. It's not what people see on the outside typically. Uh, Because you know if you are stepping into the things that God's inviting you into. And of course, this is a story about running away from God. So... Jonah chapter 1 sets the context very quickly. Verse 1 says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, we're not told how God spoke uh, to Jonah. We know in the Old Testament that sometimes there was the audible voice of God. Because the way God spoke in the Old Testament was the Spirit of God would go directly and speak directly to individuals. The Holy Spirit had not been given Uh, to all followers of God at that point. And sometimes God spoke in dramatic ways. Sometimes uh, it's in a small, still voice. Sometimes it's audible voice of God. Sometimes it's, you know, an earthquake. There's sometimes it's it's, um, visions. Like there's all kinds of things. Now, some of you might think, well, God doesn't speak that way today. So, you know, I'm off the hook when you read, when you read Jonah, uh, God gave a message to Jonah. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus said, I'm going to send to you uh, the Holy Spirit. It says in John chapter 14, who's going to remind you of everything that I taught you and be a guide for you. So the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit indwells or fills, we would say, every Christ follower. And if you read through the New Testament, it shows all the different ways that God spoke to his, his followers at that time And part of doing that is to tell the story, but the other part is to show us how he speaks to his followers today. And so that's why we do the Hearing God course here at SunWest, because God still speaks to us today. He does it through his word, obviously, but sometimes he does it in other ways as well. So in this case, the Spirit of God spoke to Jonah. What did he say? Verse 2, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now, something to note, you might say, okay, it's another message through a prophet. I've, you know, if you've read your Bible, there's lots of messages through prophets. One that might be more unique here, one aspect of this time is that God told Jonah, get up and go. He didn't say, stay where you are and, you know, write it down and send out the word. He actually said, I want you to go to these people. I want you to get off of wherever you're living, and I want you to go to where they're living. 
I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. I want you to go to pronounce judgment on the city of Nineveh, at the city of Nineveh, to the city of Nineveh, to the Ninevites. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you sensed God nudging you to do something, to say something, and you really didn't want to do it. I remember I had one of those uh, 20 years ago. That still sticks out in my mind. I was with a bunch of Canadian pastors at a training thing at a church in Chicago for a week. And while we were there, that church had midweek services, so we went to that Wednesday night service. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of my Canadian friends, and my, I still remember my, uh, my friend Brent, uh, who was a pastor on the other side of the town of Calgary at the time, was sitting beside me. And the guy speaking um, was John Ortberg. And John, you may have read some of his books. He's written all kinds of books. So John's speaking, and he's telling the story of Joshua chapter 3, where they're going to cross the river and go into the promised land, take the promised land that God had promised them. And in that story, he said to, uh, to Joshua, tell your priests to carry the ark, and when their feet touch the water, that's when I'm going to split the river. I'm not going to make a way through the river until their feet touch the water. In other words, they've got to take an act of faith. Uh, and, then I'll split, and then I'll split the water. And at that moment, it's towards the end of the sermon, you know, the pastor's coming to wrap it up and, and kind of drive his point home. And he says, so is there anything that God is asking you to step into the water on right now? And at that moment, it's like God put this thing in my head. And I literally said out loud, oh, crap. <laughs> and Brent, who's sitting beside me, looks at me like, <laughs> in the middle of a church service, like, what are you? <laughs> and I said, I know what God wants me to do. And I don't want to do it. But I have to do it. Oh, crap. <laughs> but it was one of those, I hadn't been thinking about this. And, uh, and it's like God just went, there it is. So sometimes God does that. I don't know if he's done that to you. Maybe he'll do that to you today. Um, what do you do when you receive an assignment from God that you don't like? So often we talk about when we're in a crisis situation, you know, do we fight? Do we flight? Do we run away? Uh, do we freeze? Or, I'll add a fourth one, do we follow in faith? Do we follow in faith? When God is calling you to something, do you fight him? Do you run away? Do you freeze and do nothing and hope it goes, passes? Or do you follow in faith? So what did Jonah do? Verse 3. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, who's ever, you know, the author of the book of Jonah, just get the sense of humor that runs through this book. Because there's a whole bunch of sort of uh, uh, contrasts in this book that you go, that doesn't quite make sense. Like, Jonah's a prophet. He knows who God is. He knows, every, he knows that God is ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful. So to go get on a ship to sail away from God is impossible. Like, how are you, how are you going to outrun an ever-present God? And this is a prophet of God who's doing this. This is someone who knows who God is. And in fact, one commentator said, he said, we think actually Jonah bought the most expensive ticket he could buy 
Uh, in other words, to get as far away as he could. It's like, well, somehow God won't be over there. But you go, Jonah, what are you doing? Why would you even think that? But that's what he did. And I think the reason he did the flight, that he ran away in that state, is what do you do sometimes when you get so uh, emotional, you're so overwhelmed in whatever situation you're in, that your response becomes illogical? Because you're being driven by your emotion. So Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. He does not want to give this message to the Ninevites. So let's get a ticket so I can get away from God. Which, of course, he knows is impossible. In fact, even later on, a few verses later, Jonah says, uh, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Well, if he made the sea and the land, Jonah's a few verses later saying, I recognize that God is over all, but I'm still going to try to run away. So it's a panic move, an irrational move. He needs to get away. And that's what he's doing. I don't know if you've been so, so confronted by God at a point in your life that it puts you into that all in or like run to God or run away from God kind of fork in the road. Now often when people become Christ followers, it's in one of those moments when you realize this is a decision point, and I'm all in or I'm out. Maybe you've had those. Maybe you've had it where you've run away a few times and then you've come back. So I don't know if you can reflect on some of those moments. As I was thinking about Jonah running, I was thinking back in my life, going, okay, where are those moments? And I actually thought back to the first one that I can remember. 18 years old, uh, I just leaving a party in, in uh, I was living in Winnipeg where I grew up, leaving a party, driving across the city down the main drag in Winnipeg called Portage Avenue, probably about 11 o'clock at night, maybe later, I can't remember. And uh, on this trip, God interrupted my life. And now I know it was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was back then, like I knew about it, but I had no idea what the Holy Spirit did. So I'm driving across the city late at night, and suddenly I get this overwhelming sense, and it felt like the audible voice of God in my head. I knew it wasn't audible, but that's how strong the impression was. And what I sense God saying is, either you choose to follow me now, or you're going to be far from me for years and years and years. And it actually scared me. And I got home, and uh, the next day I quit university. I quit my job that I had. I called up a school in Colorado and said, hey, can I come? Do you have room? And they had started already. The next day I got on an airplane and I flew to Estes Park, Colorado. Most rash thing I've probably ever done in my life. And for the next six weeks, I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever done in my life. Like, was that the pizza at the, that part? Like, what was I thinking? And then six weeks in, I met Jesus. So the rashest decision I ever made in my life, the most dramatic overnight decision, turned into the best decision six weeks later. And I've often thought back, oh, what if I would have just said, ah, it was the pizza, I'm going to school and to work tomorrow, and that's that. And I often wonder, what would have happened? Because it changed everything. It changed absolutely everything. So I think back to what Jonah did, and I go, man, 
He ran away. He didn't run too. So it makes me wonder, why run? Why do we run? Well, I think there's some basic human reasons we run. We run because we're afraid. We run because we're uncertain. We run because we want to actually try and maintain some form of control. We run because perhaps we've been hurt before. We're avoiding pain. We're avoiding being let down. And so we run. There's all kinds of human reasons that we run. We run because our emotions take over. That fight, fight, flight, or freeze thing takes, kicks into gear for us. Why did Jonah run? Now, the context of Nineveh gives us some reasons, perhaps, why he ran. So Nineveh, it said, was a, the great city of Nineveh, which meaning it was a large city at that time. Uh, Nineveh has quite a history. It goes back to about 4500 B.C. The book of Genesis tells us that the city of Nineveh was started by Nimrod, who is, who is known as a great hunter. A Nineveh, or sorry, yeah, Nineveh is located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, which today would be across the river from Mosul in Iraq. That's the physical place where Nineveh uh, is located, is uh, in Iraq. It became a very important city in the Assyri- Assyrian Empire. Uh, when Sennacherib ruled uh, around 700 B.C., it was, it was his uh, capital. Uh, it was the capital city during his reign. And he fortified the city. So it was a powerful city, a strong city, a large city. Uh, and then it says that, uh, that God wanted the message delivered there, of the message of du- judgment, because he observed how wicked the people of Nineveh were. <laughs> like the, the Living Bible says, the, the stink of their wickedness went all the way to heaven. That's how the Living Bible describes it. Well, what does that mean and how wicked it was? Well, if you do some, uh, some background checking in history, if you think, well, it's a Bible story, can I trust that for a his- historical fact? Well, historically, uh, they were known for how uh, they treated the people that they conquered. Uh, one of the kings, the grandson of, uh, of Sennacherib, uh, would tear off the lips and hands of his victims, of the people they conquered. That's disgusting. Uh, Tiglath-Pileser flayed his victims alive. And they were, they, were, they were known there for the piles of skulls that they had. This is the kind of city that God said, Jonah, go there. Go there in person and go tell them that my judgment is coming. It's like, okay, sign me up, I'm in, right? Like, who wants to go do that? Maybe that's why Jonah ran. That would make sense to me. It sounds like a powerful place or a, a, a powerful city and a, and a very hazard to Jonah's health, uh, Jonah's health with the message that he's going to give. But he ran. And we're going to come back to why he ran a little later. So kind of parked the thought, why did Jonah run? What does God do when we run? What does God do when we run? When we say, no, I'm out. I'm scared. I'm, I can't do this right now. I'm scared. Like with Jonah's story, you think God would have said, okay, Jonah, you're not going to do this. I'll go find somebody else. That would have been easy, easy enough. I'll go find somebody else. There's other prophets. I'll go talk to another one and I'll send them. Is that what God did? Instead, God decided to pursue Jonah. How did he do that? Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm. 
that threatened to break the ship apart. It's interesting how God decided to get Jonah's attention. He created a storm. And the storm was of such magnitude, of such severity, that it tells us the ship is starting to fall apart. Whatever that looks like, it's obviously life-threatening. Now, it's interesting. You think, well, is God doing that to punish Jonah? Is that why he's doing this? He's like, well, you want to run? Well, I'll show you. I'll show you who's in charge. And that he's going to now punish him. Because often we fall into that line of thinking. We think if things are going well, then, then God's happy with us. If things are going poorly, well, maybe God's upset with us. Which is really far too simplistic a way to think. Because ultimately that's not what is happening here. But God went after Jonah. So think about this in your own life. If maybe you've had this experience where someone in your life that you care about, that you love is doing something foolish, something destructive, say, something self-destructive, or something relationally destructive. If you care about them, what do you do? Generally, you go after them. It's like, we got to talk. we got to have coffee. we got to have a family meeting. we got to have an intervention. We have to do something. And when you go to do that, is the point to punish them? Or is the point to say, man, we got to bring this around to something more healthy, something better? We want to see something healthy come out of that interaction. We want to see something better. If it's self-destructive, we want to see something hopeful. If it's relationally destructive, we want to see some form of restoration happen. That's why we would pursue. That's exactly what God does here. And Jesus teaches us actually about pursuit of people in a profound way. And he does it through, first of all, the story about sheep. So Matthew 18, verses 12 to 14 say, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others on the hills and go out to search for one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the ninety-nine that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. God comes after us. Jesus comes after us when we wander away. Why? Because he loves us. Because he wants to see restoration. That's what he wants. We love the idea of a God who goes after the wayward and the wandering. It's caring. It's gracious. Especially when we hear it in the story about sheep. But then he per- Jesus personalizes this in the next verse, actually. He gets quite pointed. In verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. If they listen to you, you've you've facilitated restoration. He doesn't say if they listen to you, you've put them in their place. Sometimes we, we get into this mode of wanting to put people in their place. No, that's not who God is. He says, then you've won them over. Jesus tells us to go after people. So what did God do when Jonah ran? He sent the storm. And it's quite a storm. Now, the other thing you have to know is that when you run, when we do things that are moving away from God, when we move things that can be self-destructive or selfish, rarely, if ever, 
do the consequences of our running only play out for ourselves? Most of the time, there's a community involved. There's other people involved. We have other relationships, whether it's family or friends. There are other people that are running impacts because our lives are connected. Often in the West, we keep saying, well, it's just me. You know, I'm an individual. It's up to me. It's for me. It's about me. Well, it's not. No matter how much Western society tells you that, it's not true. Because you know how you feel when someone does something that is hurtful or painful or self-destructive. You feel it if they're close to you. You know exactly how that feels. It was the same thing in Jonah's case. When Jonah ran, there were more people involved than just him. So because running is never just about you, and this wasn't just about Jonah either. Verse 5 says, uh, talks about the rest of the sailors. It says, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. So you have all these other folks on the ship whose lives are in danger. Now, you need to know something about the ancient Near East religious worldview. At that time, uh, there was the, the, the religious worldview was there is a God for everything. So if, I want to have, if I'm married and I want to have children, I pray to this God. If I want to have a good crop, I pray to that God. If I want victory in war, I pray to that God. If I want to get uh, water from a well when I'm digging, I pray to that God. So they are, are the sailors, are religious folks, and they are trying every God in the pantheon of gods to try and have this storm stop or, or to have their lives saved. And so that's why when the captain goes down, first of all, how in the world can you be sleeping, Jonah? And second of all, maybe you should pray to your God. Maybe your God can help because our gods are not working. This is definitely not working with our gods. You know, it's interesting how often throughout history, whenever we're in trouble, uh, human beings often suddenly become people of faith, right? Or we barter with God. You know, God, if you'll fix this, I'll this, right? We, we do these things. We think somehow we can barter with God, which is really another silly concept. But suddenly we're all people of faith when we're in crisis. And so these folks are reaching out. These sailors are reaching out to God. And then in the midst of that, they're like, okay, well, nothing is working. So it says they drew lots. So drawing, draw, drawing lots is the same as if you've ever done uh, pick the short straw. So if you're trying to figure out who's going to do something, you put a bunch of straws, you know, different lengths uh, in your hand, and everyone picks one, and whoever gets the short one, well, they have to go do whatever it is they're supposed to do. Uh, or another way to draw lots is you put a bunch of stones uh, in a cup, and one's a different color, and whoever gets that different colored one, uh, they're the ones who have to go do what you're trying to decide. So that's what they're doing here. They draw lots. You read about it in the Bible uh, many times. And it comes to Jonah. So they're saying, oh, who's responsible for this storm? Jonah. And I, I love their response, um, which says uh, in verse 10, the sailors were terrified when they heard this. Uh, sorry, before that, it's, uh, they led him to Jonah, verse 8. Why, was this all, why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded, of Jonah? 
Who are you? What line of work are you in? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. So the one who's trying to run away, right? Trying to, trying to run away from God, as I said earlier, says, I worship the God who made all this. He's in charge of all this. Other thing you need to know about ancient Near East thinking. They thought the gods of evil, the evil spirits inhabited the waters. So that's why when there's a storm, they think it's spiritual because the evil, evil spirits inhabit the waters. Jump to the New Testament. That's why when Jesus calms the sea, the disciples say, even the wind and the seas obey him. They're like, wait a minute, you're God, but now you're like your uber God because even the sea obeys you. So when Jonah says, my God is the God who made the land and the sea, that means something to them. It's not just a statement that God is everywhere. He's actually saying God is superior to all the other gods is what he's telling them. And then it says the sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. And I love this. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Like, what's wrong with you? Your running is threatening our lives. Like, why in the world would you do this? Isn't that the same question you ask a friend or a family member when they make a bad decision or a destructive decision? What were you thinking? Why did you do this? It's the natural human decision. Why would you bring this on us? You think this is just about you? Why are you running from an all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God? The sailors had the only plausible response there was. Why? Why? Why would you run? So now Jonah's standing there. And you're wondering, okay, what's the answer? What's he going to say? Like, how do you respond when you're cornered? I don't know how many sailors are on the boat, but they're running a a ship that's out the sea, so there's got to be a whole bunch. And they're all looking at him going, this is your fault. Why did you do this? So at that point, is he going to give in? Is he going to give up? Or is he going to stay the course? Is he going to double down on his path? What is Jonah going to do? And it's interesting because in this story, one of the humorous things in it is that the, you know, they would have been seen, the, uh, the sailors would have been seen as pagans. Pagan religions would be a way to describe them. So you have the man of God, the prophet, acting like a pagan, and you have the pagans acting like God followers in this story. That's another one of the ironies that's happening here. So, what's Jonah going to do? So Jonah says, throw me into the sea and the storm will stop. That's his answer. Throw me into the sea and the storm will stop. Now notice what he does not say. He does not say, I've done something foolish. I've done something wrong. Oh, God, forgive me. What was I thinking? Basically, to turn, to repent. He doesn't do that at all. Right? He doesn't say, well, I give up, God. I'm not running from you anymore. He doesn't do that. There's no giving in. There's no giving up, actually. In fact, what he does, I think, is actually extremely cruel. Why is it cruel? Because he says to the sailors, 
well, if you throw me into the water, then the storm will stop. Well, I'm like, well, Jonah, if you're so convinced, why don't you just jump in? Like, no one's stopping you. If you think that's the solution, you could say, God, forgive me. I was wrong. Jump in. They're good. God, you deal with me. He doesn't do that. What he says is, well, if you guys throw me in, so if you guys take responsibility for my life and my misery, because I'm not actually giving in to God, I'm actually continuing to run away, and if I die, then it's over and I'm, I'm off the hook. But you guys throw me in. You guys feel responsible for my death. Like, he actually makes it worse at this point. That's what he does. He doesn't jump overboard. He actually makes it worse. And the pagan sailors actually show more godliness. Because at this point, they actually, in their humanness, what do they do? They try harder to save him by rowing to shore more aggressively. They try a human response to a spiritual problem, which never works. We're going to try harder. That'll solve this problem. When we have our problems where we're running from God and we're just going to try harder, friends, it never works. Spiritual problems need spiritual solutions, not human solutions. So that's what they try and it doesn't work. So then in verse 14, it says, They cried out to the Lord, uh, Jonah's God. O Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. Excuse me. And don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. They recognize it. Then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. What do the sailors do when they see God work? It says, They were so awestruck by the Lord's great power, they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. They're overwhelmed by the beauty and wonder and power of God. But we still have the question, why did Jonah run? Why did Jonah run? Well, we we find out why Jonah ran actually in chapter 4 of the book of Jonah. And it wasn't because the people of Nineveh were so far away. It wasn't because the city was so big. It wasn't because they were so wicked. It wasn't because they were so evil. It wasn't because he was scared for his own safety. It wasn't any of those typical things that we would think. These make sense. So after after Jonah gives his message to the people of Nineveh, and they respond in repentance, they turn from their wicked ways, this is what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah complained to the Lord about it, about the people turning from their wickedness. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. In other words, Jonah wanted judgment. He didn't want these people, the Assyrians, who'd been a great problem for the Jews, who had, who had conquered the Jews at various points, who had inflicted harm on the Jews. He wanted those people to get what he thought they had coming to them. And the last thing he wanted for them to do is to respond to God's grace. 
because then they're off the hook in his mind from the judgment that he thought they deserved. That's why he ran. That's ultimately why he ran, because he wanted them to be judged. He wanted justice, at least just what was justice in his mind. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world right now where if people don't think like we think, we write them off. And it doesn't seem to matter whether it's in the Christian world or the non-Christian world. The polarities are so great that there's constantly people writing off whole groups and categories of people all the time. Uh, You can read about it constantly. There's an article about it all the time. As soon as something does something wrong, well, you've got to fire them, obviously, because they made a mistake. Obviously, they're a terrible person because they made a mistake. You've got to write them off. If someone doesn't think like we do, we're defending the truth of God, so we've got to write them off. It's happening constantly. And it seems to be increasing more and more as our conflicts and our, our, our political agendas, everything keeps rising and the conflicts just keep rising. And it's happening more and more and more. And yet Jesus, in the midst of that, and he dealt with people, uh, obviously the religious rulers of his day, who he was hardest on, but he was hard on them when they misrepresented the kingdom of God. But as soon as one of those people said, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you, and it was a genuine question, he always invited them in and always said, hey, why don't you come and follow me? That was always his posture. And he said, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And there's no asterisk unless they're Ninevites, unless they got a bad history, unless they cause problems for you and your family or for your people. Right? He says, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Is there anyone in your world that you dislike so much that you would not want them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Is there anyone in your world that you would say, "I, man, I want justice on them. I do not want them to hear or respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want them to wallow in their sin and I want them to pay the price forever. Is there anyone like that? Because that's who the, who the Ninevites were for, jo- for Jonah. And that's why he ran. That's why, God, I know you're gracious. I don't want your grace on them. I do not want your grace on them. There's a, a gal that I know, uh, met probably four or five years ago, who grew up as a, as a Muslim uh, and uh, was a faithful Muslim her whole life till her, I don't know, mid-50s. And then she met Jesus. And uh, she had seven dreams of Jesus. Jesus came to her in her dreams like, who is this Jesus? I need to meet this Jesus. And I read, see, someone brought her to the church we were at. And, uh, and so I got to know her and we, uh, we would walk through, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And she's moving from her Muslim worldview, which doesn't understand grace at all, but understands justice very well. And one day I was preaching about grace and uh, she'd always sit in the second or third row, so I come off the stage from preaching, and she says to me, so, and she had an ex-husband who was a very cruel man, and um, 
She said to me, so what you're telling me is I have to stop praying that God would kill my ex-husband. Yeah, yep. Pretty much. I said, you can pray that he follows Jesus. No, I can't do that. I said, well, what did Jesus do for you? Oh, yeah, that. Right? But she's like, because of the pain of her story, she's processing, like, I want justice. And Muslims understand justice. They don't understand grace. There is no grace, but they understand justice. Like, I want justice. Yeah, but you met Jesus. And you ran to him when he knocked on your door through your dreams. And he extended to gra- his grace to you. And she's like, yep. And it's wonderful. And she would, her language was always, she'd always talk about my Jesus. I, 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 can't give, I can't leave my Jesus. That was always her way of describing it. Then she'd tell me about a dream. And how wonderful my Jesus is. I said, okay, well, it's your Jesus, but he's also everybody else's Jesus, including your ex-husband's. She's like, oh, and the wrestling. Because she knew, she was starting to understand in her heart and her head, this is true. But her emotions tied to her pain, like, I want justice. I want justice. I go, well, leave it to him. Justice is God's. It's not ours. So run to him. And that's the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. And, and it's demonstrated in the people of Nineveh, but it's gem- de- demonstrated in the life of Jonah. And that's why God sent the wind, because he came after Jonah. And you'll get the rest of that story next week. See, God pursues. God pursues. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that he disciplines those that he loves. So if you're feeling that discipline from God, it's because he loves you. It's because he loves you and he pursues you. That's what this story tells us. And the beauty is that we can't run away from the grace of God. You cannot run away from the grace of God. There is no place, God is not present and there is no place or situation or story where his grace is not present. And he may send a wind to get your attention, but it's because He loves you. And because he wants to pursue you. So if you are stuck in disobedience to God, what we would call sin, run to God today. If that's the place you're stuck. If you're prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and talk to someone, to pursue something, to make something right, or someone who's made a decision that is harmful to them or to you or your family or situation, Jesus says, go after them. Don't run away. Go after them. If you're dealing with anxiety or struggles or addictions, run to Jesus. Don't run away. Don't run away. That's the beauty of the gospel and this incredible story of God pursuing Jonah is God pursues you. He pursues you with his grace and invites you to turn to him. What a great line. I am a child of God, so I don't have to be a slave to fear. When we run, it's because we're afraid in some form. But God's given you a new identity through Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, he paid the price for your sin. He removed your shame because he's made you a member of his family. 
first and foremost. And he conquers your fears because he's greater than any other power. Death was defeated. The enemy lost. And the kingdom was established in this world through the death and resurrection of Jesus. As I pray, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer that you can pray silently with me about if you're in a place where you've been running and you want to run to God. And then we will have uh, prayer people available after the service. If you would like to receive prayer for what we've talked about this morning or anything else in your life, um, you may also want to talk to a pastor, talk to a a trusted uh, Christian brother or sister to take those steps, perhaps for things that you're deciding today. Let's pray. And pray with me if you want to stop running. Jesus, thank you that you pursue me. I have been running from you, and I'm sorry. Forgive me for not trusting you. And I give you, and you can put in there the thing that, the reason you've been running. Your fear, your pain, your addiction, your desire for justice, whatever it might be. I give it to you, Jesus. I trust you with it. And I trust you to lead me forward and to take the steps in wholeness and healing that I need to take. Jesus, help me make those steps, take those steps every day. And to include those I need to include to walk in wholeness. Jesus, I thank you that you are gracious and patient and that you pursue us the way you pursued Jonah, the way you extended grace to the Ninevites, the way that you go after the one lost sheep, and then the way that you've come after us, first of all, for relationship with you, but then also to be agents of reconciliation in our lives and the people and the relationships we have as we extend your grace to others. And I pray that we would be a people who live out that grace day in and day out at work, at home, at church, in the community, that people would see the beauty and wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ through us. So be with us as we take this truth, this beauty into the world as we walk out these doors. And for those who have prayed the prayer, Father, I pray that they would take that next step of telling someone and taking those decisions that you're prompting them to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's grace.